But before I begin our, our focus on the scripture this morning, I wanted to address kind of where we left off last Sunday. I think it's real important. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we had a testimony by Robert who came up and, and shared some things concerning some accidents that, that he was in and, and, you know, just really praising God for sparing his life. Some of the things he said in there, we would say, you can't find that in scripture. And so I know that that, that uh, something especially he said did not connect. I think it was that idea that well, as long as you're useful, God's going to keep you alive in this world. And that's not there's nothing biblically correct about that. I think he said that and even saw that himself. And uh, in the meantime, it struck the heart of one of our precious members. And uh, especially her heart is hurting. And she came forward and let us know that. And I thanked her for that. I thanked her for the fact that she did not leave with such a, a torn and and, and hurting heart and this is just time of year she's doing that and matter of fact I appreciate those who came up around her and uh, were the friends that they are to her and that I, I tell you overall here's here's what that is it identifies who we are and, and and we had probably the best example of it last Sunday if there's someone's hurting here this morning going through difficulties we don't want you to hide those things we want you to find a place of strength and encouragement, of help uh, going through troubles and difficulties. That's what family means, right? That's what families are. Families aren't always so beautiful and wonderful, and, and everybody, when you open the door, is happy and, and exuberant. But the truth is, sometimes there's real hurts that go through our families. Isn't that true? And so we want to face hurts and difficulties and places where we need to pray each other up and, and guide each other. So I, I just felt that it was important that we address that. And uh, it is always, always good to be together because of that, the connectedness, uh, how we value each other, how we love each other, and pray for each other through all our circumstances. Uh, this morning, uh, first of all, I, I was thinking next, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Um, and on Easter Sunday, um, excuse me, hair in my mouth, um, Easter, Easter Sunday, of course, that's that Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, correct? Right? Guess what we're doing today? Celebrating oh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and throughout the week, could you ever say, is there ever a time you're not thinking or, or that, that, that you don't reflect upon that? Maybe when you're praying or you're, you're, you're facing difficulties and, and you think about Jesus, aren't you thinking about the resurrection? That, that we don't serve a, a Savior who's dead and gone and we're just, we're, we're just doing this to remember him by, no, we're serving a risen Savior, right? So you could go ahead and start celebrating it today by saying amen and woohoo and all that stuff because it's an everyday thing for us. Not a once-a-year thing for us. Uh, what actually happened on, on this day, and, and many, many times, churches will be celebrating uh, the uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, on Palm Sunday is that day that, that we would think this is, this is reflecting of what it should look like with Jesus coming into the world. Right? He, he is upon a cult, you know, kind of a, a kingly position, uh, you know, that day's perspective of a limousine. He's riding on a cult into Jerusalem. 
and there's celebration going on. I mean, they are grabbing palm branches. There's the name palm. But they're waving palm branches, and they're shouting out Hosanna, glory to God on the highest. And they're laying, laying out their, uh, their, their robes in the road as, as Jesus is being taken into Jerusalem. That's the perspective we ought to have. If Jesus came into this world, woo, let's celebrate him. And that was Sunday. On Friday, he's crucified. That's, that's a wild week, beginning with celebration, that if you consider Friday that towards the end of the week, beginning, ending in great agony and distress, but then beginning again on Sunday with a great celebration of his resurrection. That, that all takes place in that week. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder about the religious leaders? How they, I'm sure they were not part of the celebration of waving palms. Matter of fact, that really tore them up. Because Jesus, throughout his ministry, had just been a thorn in their flesh. It, it was just, he was a thorn. He was trouble for the religious leaders. He called himself righteous. He called him, oh, he called him whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I, there, there, was, there was some some pretty strong words that Jesus directed towards the religious leaders. They did not care for Jesus. He was causing lots of trouble. Even though he claimed to be the Messiah, they, they boy, this is not their perspective of who the Messiah is to be. We're in Malachi. This is 400 years preceding the time that, that Jesus comes and faces these people. 400 years before, this is the last word that Jehovah has the opportunity to speak to his people. I think the significance of what we're hearing is what did these guys, the descendants, what did, what did these Pharisees and Sadducees come from? You know, the, the difficulty of their hearts. They, they were wrong. <laughs> but Malachi, we've identified this, this book as hearts of stone. It, it's what we've considered. In chapter 1, uh, what, we, what we've seen is God said, you have contempt for me. That, that as a people of God, you, you are holding me in contempt. And, and that contempt is being revealed in how they are bringing this, oh, terrible, tragic offerings before God. You know, offerings of, of animals for sacrifices. I mean, they were diseased, they were lame, they were blind. They were bringing the worst for God instead of the best. Showing you know, contempt for God. Also, they were, they, were faithless, or they were unfaithful. In chapter 2, last week, we talked about, actually, marriage. It was, it was in marriage. Oh, and he wanted them to be faithful to the wives of their youth. What was happening was they were divorcing the wives of their youth and marrying uh, ladies who were worshiping. It didn't say foreign ladies, but worship, uh, marrying women who were worshiping foreign gods. And he called them, be faithful. In, in verse 17 today, we're going to start this third one in this hearts of stone. And it, it is uh, continued correction. In verse 17, perhaps we could identify the core of faithlessness in, in, in uh, Israel. Or, or the problem that, that they had uh, as, as they grew hundred years later when, when Jesus came. So here, let me read for you, uh, starting in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Later on, we're going to dive into the first few verses of chapter 3. But here's verse 17. 
And follow along. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Malachi speaking to the people says, You're, you have wearied uh, the Lord with your words to the people. Now, now, if you're a parent, you know what that is, right? I've, we have not been parents for a while, Linda and I. But here recently, we've been blessed with having Jared and Lindsay, uh, Oliver and Isaiah move into our home while their hair, it's in their transition moving into their home. Everybody was going, oh, you know, some of you have had that happen. You go, oh, no, you know, poor you. But I, I tell you, it really has been a blessing. I've enjoyed it. And, and Linda, we both talked. It's, been, it's not been trouble. If we get into months, ask me again. But right now we're into weeks and we've really enjoyed it. And, and it's been a while since we've raised kids, but, but if you're a parent, maybe you could relate to those words that they've wearied the Lord. Your parents, you know what it is when your child tests your patience? Yeah, see, that's what's happening with God. Uh, and they're doing it with their words. Because I, I hear within my household uh, words like, what did I say? Like, do I have to say it again? I hear it. I, I, I think I heard it this morning, you know, getting ready because that's always a fun time, you know, get your shoes on, get your shoes on, get your shoes on, you know, you parents know and familiar with that. But anyway, here's Israel. Israel is wearing out uh, God. He, he is wary of them with their words. Let me go ahead and read the rest of 17. And, and they ask, how have we wearied him? How have we done that? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? In both those statements, he's saying the same thing. Where's the God of justice? Where is the justice? Have you ever found yourselves asking that question? God, where's your justice? I, I mean, we look into this world, and this world is horrible. This world is horrible. Bottom, bottom line, there's so many things that we could look at to say it's horrible. I mean, the, the continued greed of men's hearts and how far greed will take someone to, to, to get advantage of somebody else. Uh, violence, the fact of killing babies, not, not just in the womb, but even outside of the womb today. Human trafficking, we hear a lot about corruption in politics there's no corruption in politics. What are you talking about out there? No, the corruption in our government and other governments and, and what's happening in this world. Violence and murder. And, and then on top of it, this is a complaint in Psalm 73, if you're familiar with it. It's not just, man, evil continues to exist, but in some cases, they seem to be prospering. Have you had that complaint? Oh, and so you say, God, what are you doing? Where is your justice? Have you, perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've said that and even thought that. God, what are you doing in the world? What's going on? Why aren't you holding people accountable? Why aren't you acting on your, just, uh, on, on your justice, on your judgment? Well, let me tell you what. I think it's important to tell you that there's good reason to patiently wait for God's, God to bring about his justice. There's good reason for you and I to be patient for God to bring about an accounting of humanity and, and what we've done, okay? And, and so that's really where I'd like to go this morning uh, with the verses we have 
this verse and the verses we have remaining. Uh, first, so, so here I'd like to answer the question, why we ought to wait for God's justice. Number one, many people ask for God's justice and yet don't know what they're asking for. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 have you ever had that case? Is it your child asked for something uh, to, to play with something and they have no idea of how dangerous that is? You don't know how to handle that. You don't know what you're doing with it. You have to wait till you get older, something like that. But in this case, those who are calling out, God, where's your justice? Bring it down today. Do you really know what you're asking for? Do you really know what you're asking for? Let's, let's think about Israel. Israel, at this case, in this verse, is disgruntled. It's disgruntled Israel. I mean, they've gone through lots of things. Uh, and and uh, presently, you know, they're, they're back in Jerusalem. The walls have been rebuilt and, and the, the, the temple has been rebuilt, but it's, it's not without a lot of struggle. Uh, there, there are people all around Israel, all around that Jerusalem area, when they were rebuilding the walls, that did not want to see it happen. They, they wanted to see the walls remain down, and they didn't want to see that Jerusalem be reestablished. And therefore, they determined to cause trouble. And they did. And even with the walls up, there was reasons for the walls. There's people who did not want to see Jerusalem continue to grow and succeed. So they continue to have enemies around them. Oh God, get rid of them. Where's your justice? Matter of fact, what he says along with that, he says, hey, all who do evil, and this is kind of a you know, sarcastic way of putting it, hey, everyone that, that does evil, you consider good now. You're, you're not going to judge evil. Where's your justice? You hear that part of verse 17? The truth is they did not appreciate what God has done. Is everything glowing and wonderful? Not necessarily. Boy, it's a whole lot better than it was. It wasn't but some years, just a few years back, that they were in captivity. They weren't even back in, in, in Judah. Now they're back in Judah and Jerusalem. They're, they're reestablishing. There's troubles, yes. But they, they have... They are not appreciating where they are. They're back in, at home. They miss the fact that God has acted with mercy and not justice on them. And, and, and matter of fact, they didn't even receive what they deserved. Yeah, hey, listen, God is a just God. Absolutely, God is a just God. Uh, in Psalm 89, verse 14, it was written, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That, that's, that's a great description of God. Righteousness and justice are, a, are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. That's a great praise before God. An identifying phrase to give God praise. And Israel right now is, is reading that righteousness and justice are the foundation. No. It's that kind of expression, that kind of attitude. Towards God. And, and what is the problem? The problem is they're resentful. Uh, this, this kingdom of Israel is resentful instead of having a fear and a respect for their God. They're resentful to God. Remove the thorns. Remove the troubles around us. Remove the evil around us. Why aren't you acting? Hey, let, let me just throw in a warning here. Being resentful of God 
is not opening the door for us to giving him praise. It definitely hinders praise. It's definitely opposite of giving God praise. And the problem is, we don't have a clear perspective who God is. I believe Israel has lost their minds as to who God truly is. Going back to that 89 verse 14, he is a God of love and faithfulness. They, they are not considering the fact that God had every right to wipe them out as a nation. Remember Zephaniah? In Zephaniah, man, destruction's coming. We've been there. Destruction is coming. It is what they deserve because of their sinfulness, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, running after other gods. They deserve to be wiped out as a people. And yet, they do not receive what they deserve. Even in Zephaniah, he says, there's going to be a remnant of you. There's going to be some of you that they go into captivity. They're going to be brought back. And, and, and you ought to pray to be a part of that. And there are some who are brought back, and now they're there, and they're established. And what are they doing? I can't believe he's not taking care of the evil in the world. Do you not understand what he's given to Israel? Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that. The circumstances in life, the difficulties, maybe a lost job, a sickness, or, or something happens in our life, and all of a sudden what, takes, what, what fills our heart is a resentfulness to a God who loves us and provides for us and has so much in store for us. And if we're not seeing it, if we're not seeing it, yeah, absolutely, our praise, our genuine praise, uh, Praise of God is being hindered. The truth is, Israel has and continues to deserve God's condemning judgment. Uh, and, and when they're crying out for justice, oh God, give us your justice, they don't see themselves as being included with wickedness. If God were to bring his justice, that would be the end of Israel. That would be the end of many of those who are belly aching. Because that's what they deserve. Absolutely deserve. They fail to appreciate God because they also fail to fear God. They're, they're feeling, they're, they, they might be fearing those outside, the, you know, those that are claiming to be evil. Oswald Chambers says, uh, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I like that. You know, we look at the world and we look at all the troubles and all the ugliness, all the evil that's work. And if we begin to be in fear of the things that are evil around us, then, then we're losing that perspective of the honor and respect that our God is because there is no God like our God. There is no love and faithfulness from any other God than our God. Look what he's done for us. Matter of fact, that's where I want to take us right now. Well, now before I do, I want to say our, our approach before God ought to be this, is to humbly approach him. Humbly approach him. Appreciating every day, in, even in the difficulties. Micah 6.8 says, uh, actually God shared this. God, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What a powerful statement. Out of the Old Testament, that was even more specifically for the people who are in existence right here, right now, 
Malachi is addressing. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If they were in obedience to that, they wouldn't be in this disgruntled position. And they would be appreciating what God has done for them. And what direction God is taking them in. I want to take you to verses 3. Or chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 now. Uh, In these verses uh, that follow, this is God's response. This is God's response. In some ways you might expect, okay, well, then here comes the judgment. If I disappointed you, here comes your judgment. But that's not what God does because that's not our God. Instead, he he lays out verses 1 through 4. Let me just read those for you. Uh, In verse 1 he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to, to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in, as in former years. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to bring justice and judgment, and, and this is the point, you know, justice and judgment is coming. Let me make that point. I haven't done that very well yet. But his justice is going to come. Throughout Zephaniah, we talked about that. Matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, here's what he says. We'll read ahead. 4.1, he says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Guaranteed, it is coming. It is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. His day of justice and judgment is coming. Justice is coming, but first God unfolds his salvation. I think that's what we see in these four verses. God unfolds his salvation. What do we see on display? But his patience and his mercy. Matter of fact, we even read it in in, in the Old Testament. God is a God of justice. Absolutely. And he's going to bring his judgment. But... We cannot forget he is a God of mercy. Isn't he, isn't he a God of mercy? Ezekiel, while they're in captivity, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. It says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? That's a question. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Rather, I am not pleased when they turn from their ways. Oh, excuse me. Am I not pleased? Am I not pleased? When they turn from their ways and live. There's another way that's put in the New Testament. The same, the same kind of statement, the same uh, uh, idea is expressed by Peter in 2 Peter 3.9. This might be more familiar to you, but it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. How many of you appreciate that phrase? God is patient with you. He's not acted in his his justice. He's not acted in his judgment over you. Any of us 
Not yet. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. There's the heart of God. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How amazing is God? He is a just and a, and a righteous God, and his judgment is coming. You, you could count on it. His, his judgment is coming, but it is because of his patience that we still hear. That, that we ought to be busy as a church. I mean, spreading that gospel message, absolutely. And here's, here's the gospel message actually laid out in verses 1 through 4. In verse 1, he says he's going to be doing some sending, and he's going to be coming. Sending and coming. He's going to send his messenger. I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. A messenger in, in the scriptures is either angel or prophet. And, and actually, four. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5, speaks about Elijah. He's going to send his prophet Elijah. Well, who is that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, came when we opened the scriptures to look at the gospel to understand, well, why is it that John the Baptist came? Except to prepare the way of his coming. What was his message? Repent. You need to repent. Matter of fact, here's... Can I read for you this? Just part of the message that, that uh, John the Baptist had for those, especially the spiritual leaders, the religious leaders of Israel. Here's what he said uh, in, in chapter 3, verse, starting verse 7. When, when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. For Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the Trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What's John doing except preparing the way? He's preparing these religious leaders. What's he doing? He's calling them to repentance. They, they've got this, this idea that, oh man, we belong to God. God is ours. And, and, and he is our God. We are his people. That was the covenant. And, and yet their conduct didn't match up with what they were given. Their hearts were far from him. They were hard, as we see in Malachi. So they were here in the Gospels when they came. And there was a call to repentance to those who believed that, hey, it is mine. It is mine. Salvation is ours. It, it, it is, you know, I, I question whether that's, that's as humble a place as we could take. I believe there's still that place of humility that you and I need to approach to, to say, oh man, to say I, I'm in a covenant with God, absolutely, absolutely, but I will never forget who I am. I'm a sinner that's been saved through Jesus. On one side, I say, man, that's still part of my identity. I still am absolutely dependent upon Jesus. That's what holds me to that place of humility. But on the other hand, I am a child of God. That's what Jesus gave us. He sent his messenger. He sent his messengers to announce his way. And then what did he say? Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. 
He will come to his temple. Also, the messenger of the he is also the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Well, who's the Lord that's coming? Well, we're talking about Jesus, of course. John the Baptist preceded Jesus coming. When Jesus came, boy, John absolutely identified him as the Lord, as the one. I I, I'm not even able to untie your shoes. That's who you are. And Jesus came, and I I think it's significant what it says, uh, that, that he came to his temple. Well, what does that mean? We do know Jesus when he physically actually went to the temple and presented himself in the temple various times around Passovers and did some teaching around there. One, one especially came to my mind is where in that week after Jesus came, came to uh, Jerusalem riding on the colt, remember what he did the next day? He was there at the temple. What? tossing out tables and money changers and and telling them listen this is to be God's house of prayer you've made it a den of thieves remember that correction <laughs> even a greater thorn in the side of the the leadership what what right does Jesus have what right does Jesus have of clearing the temple of saying you're not doing what's right in here Hey, listen, that temple represents the, the authority and, and justice when, only when his presence is there in the temple. When, when, when God is within the temple, that's where the authority justice is. And Jesus was all in that authority and that justice was right there with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Also, he is that, that, uh, the, the person who's bringing about that, that covenant, or he is the messenger of the covenant is what it says. And guess what? There's a change coming to that covenant. He, he came to fulfill the covenant that was under the law. He, he's fulfilled that covenant. And the covenant he's bringing about is absolutely wrapped up in that mercy and grace that, that uh, we, we see that's evident. In the Old Testament, it's going to be come and made that covenant through, through his mercy and grace. It's going to be done through the blood of Jesus as it was spilled out on the cross. It's going to be done there. And we're a part of a new covenant. And Jesus is, is, that, uh, the, is the very one who has created it and made it possible for you and I to be a part. Verse 2 and 3. Uh, verse 2 says... But, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who's going to be able to stand on that day? When the Lord comes, who's going to be able to stand? Well, why? Why is he saying that? Because he's bringing some transformation. He's bringing some change that's going to be absolutely necessary for you to be a part of this. He uses the words a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. And what he's talking about is, is the... The cleansing of the impurities, the cleansing of impurities, the sinfulness within us. See, Israel, Israel had the opportunity through sacrifices, but they were bringing those awful sacrifices. Their hearts weren't in, in it. Their hearts needed to be changed. There needed to be some genuine repentance. And, and what God then presents to them is, here's what I'm sending. I'm sending one who's going to be completing the law, who's going to be bringing a perfect sacrifice. He is going to be a refiner's fire. You know what it is to have a refiner's fire? The burning of everything that is imperfect, 
uh, in, in silver or gold that leaves behind uh, a perfect silver and, and perfect gold. Everything that's imperfect is burned out. That, that doesn't seem easy, does it? The, the reality is, is a lot of us have to be, well, I think humanity has to be broken down, has to admit and, and come to the place of saying, we are sinners. I am evil. And I am in need of, of salvation. I am in need of that purification. David admitted it in, in Psalm, Psalm 51, 7. This is in the Old Testament. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. But through Christ, we all could understand that phrase and come to a place of being clean, of being righteous before God through Jesus Christ. I love the fact that it was, it was Nicodemus that came to Jesus. Nicodemus came and visited Jesus at night. He was a Pharisee. He did it at night probably because he didn't want all the other Pharisees to know that, man, there's something about this Jesus. There's something about his miracles. So he went to, to go investigate and check out Jesus. And Jesus told him, very, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they're born. What? You know, for, for Nicodemus, he said, that's impossible. Not going to be reborn. But what he was talking about was this spiritual perspective of transformation, of removing ourselves from our evil, our sinfulness, and being made righteous that it could only be done through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice. You see, he presents the gospel here in these verses. And, and, and then it speaks of response. The rest of uh, verse 3 and 4 speaks of the response. Uh, here he says, I mean, there is a response in the fact that he says that, that then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And, and offerings of Judah and, and Jerusalem will be uh, acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. An acceptable sacrifice. Do you have this perspective throughout the Old Testament? God's patience was amazing. He made a promise to Abraham, oh, this great nation. And with great patience, they survived. With God's patience, that's the only reason. God's patience and mercy, did they even survive? They, they even existed. They continued to rebel. They continued to turn their backs upon God. And you almost hate this idea of the parent in Walmart who's dragging the kicking, screaming child behind him. That's a good picture of God and Israel. Their defiance, their trouble. And all, what did God want? What was he desiring? He told them, I want a people for myself. Even the beginning of this book of Malachi, God says, I have loved Israel. I have loved, you're my people. And the rest of the Malachi is, well, you've been, you've, you've been uh, holding me in contempt. You, you've been unfaithful. And, and now you're making me weary. And the whole idea is what God has been doing is he wants a people for himself. A people who love him in return. And his greatest perspective. You know, John 3.16 told to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him uh, will not perish what we deserve, but have everlasting life. What's our response? What's our response? Here, 
Here it's man, an acceptable sacrifice or an acceptable gift. How about hearts that are full of love for a God who has given us so much and has so much more in store for us beyond what we could imagine, beyond what goes beyond our hurts and pains. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? He has given us what we don't deserve, his justice. But he has given us, well, he has given us what we need and we don't deserve, which is his mercy and his grace. We absolutely need his mercy and grace. Look at this again. We need to be careful if we ever were to say, God, where's your justice? Hopefully you know where that is. It's coming. It's inevitable. It's coming. It's, it's that next event that we're looking towards is when God pulls a plug on time and sends his Savior into this world and says it's done. God's going to bring about his justice. The question is, are, are you with confidence saying, God, any day now be okay? Are you ready or are you prepared? Are you ready and prepared? What does it require? <laughs> Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Actually, verse 1. The fact that he came into this world, that Jesus came into this world to be our means of sacrifice. Is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for this day. We praise you, Lord, that you have acted out uh, in such a way, Lord, that you provided for us to be here this morning as, as your family, to be connected through Jesus, to have that relationship with you, to be confident in our days ahead, to be confident in this day uh, that there's a reason for our rejoicing. There's a reason for our celebration. And we praise you. We praise you for the gospel we praise you for where you brought us. Humble us, Lord. Help us to, to think about the details of your very character. Help us to know you clearly. Even in the midst of the hurts and pains around us, Lord, help us to know that you're the one who brings peace. You're the one that brings comfort in, in the midst of our trials and difficulties. You're the one that gives us strength to make it through. And along with that, Father, you're the one who's given us a salvation that we could call you our Father, our God. And you identify us as your children only through Jesus. We praise you for that message, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.